Hebrews chapter 12. And then I want you to find Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at both of these. Hebrews 12 and Galatians 5. And you know, normally I would say, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. But because of the virus, we've had to remove our songbooks and our Bible. Have one, just follow along, and I will read these scriptures to you. Hebrews chapter 12, just two verses, one and two. Hebrews 12, one and two. The Bible says there, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now go over to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to look at the first nine verses in Galatians chapter 5. The apostle Paul writing here, and he says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. But we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Father, once again, as we come, we come needy, we come seeking. We ask you once again to do the work in the hearts and lives of these dear sweet people that needs to be done. You've called me to be the, the preacher of the hour. And Lord, I want to do my best and be my best, but ultimately, the results are up to you. I don't doubt that there are unsaved people in our midst, folks who have never come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never invited Jesus into their heart, into their life, and asked him to save. And today I pray for any and all who would be in that situation that today would be the day when they bow the knee and open the heart and receive Christ. And know the joy of knowing their sins have been forgiven and heaven will be their eternal home when they leave this earth. And then I pray for the believers here. I pray that you would speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, rebuke and reprove us as we need, that your will would be accomplished in every heart and every life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Title this, Avoid Spiritual Stumbling Blocks. Avoid spiritual stumbling blocks. 
We've read in Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses. Probably, we can't say for sure, but probably written by the Apostle Paul. But whoever God used to pen those words, in those two verses, race. And in the first verse, he gives some very solid advice for our preparation and for our provision for this race. He says there that we are to lay aside every weight. When he says that, what he's speaking of is getting rid of any and everything that would hold us back in this race. And then he goes on and he tells us we must rid ourselves of that sin that he says does so easily beset us. He speaks there of our dealing with that, that sin or those sins that seem to have a hold on us and that continually hinder us in our Christian walk. Then he goes on and tells us about the patience we have to display in this race. And the patience he talks about is endurance. He's talking about enduring the difficulties and not quitting our race. As we begin verse 2 of that text, we find him revealing our power, our enabling for the race we're to run. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we understand, we realize that Jesus is our enablement. Jesus is our strength for the race we're called upon to run. And as such, we must have our eyes on him lest we fall away slow down, or even quit our race. This morning, there are many Christians who have fallen away or maybe have quit their race. These are folks who started the race well. But as time went on, some have dropped back. Some have sat down along the wayside, become spectators. Others seemingly have just left the track of their race and have ceased running the race that God has for them. It's always heartbreaking to me as a pastor when I encounter folks that I know had once run their race well, those who began the race well, but have now slowed down, backed up, or even quit the race. And when that happens, I cannot help but wonder, why? What happened? What was it that caused them to behave in this way? What is it that they've allowed to hinder them in their Christian lives? Now we go over to Galatians chapter 5. I call your attention to verse 7 where Paul writes this, Ye did run well, who did hinder you? that you should not obey the truth. Here, Paul is writing to a bunch of believers in that kind of a situation where they apparently had fallen out of their race. They were saved, and they began well in their Christian lives. But now it's obvious someone or something had hindered them. They had been influenced in the wrong way, and that influence had interrupted 
their walk with God. This morning, we, we all have to realize that there are many hindrances to our Christian lives that we're going to have to deal with. These are all what I term potential stumbling blocks. And we then have to purpose in our hearts not to allow anything to be a stumbling block in our Christian life. And this morning, I want to share with you some ways that we can make that decision and to avoid spiritual stumbling blocks. How can we do so? Number one, by not allowing misunderstanding and opposition to deter us in our Christian walk. In John 3 and verse 13, and in John 15, verse 18, we find that there was opposition to Christ. There'll be opposition to us. You see, the Christian life, the true Christian life, is a life that goes in direct opposition to the world. For the true Christian, the one who's trying to live the Christian life, it seems like we're constantly swimming against the tide. We find ourselves often being mocked and ridiculed and hurt emotionally by those in the world. But the fact is this, we must never allow the world to hinder us in our walk for Christ. We need to stand in the face of opposition. I'm sure it's no secret to you if you're trying to live the Christian life, there are many who outright oppose everything we stand for. We have the liberal crowd. I am fearful for America. I see a liberal crowd who wants to take over America and turn us into a socialist country. I am not advocating a political party, but I will advocate very strongly conservatism. Somebody say amen. amen. We've got people running for office who were firm believers in abortion right up to the time of delivery and even after. Folks running for office who were proponents of the gay agenda, proponents of defunding the police. How illogical can you be? We're having enough trouble when we have police. What will it be like if we don't have them? I'll throw my personal opinion in. It's either this. We don't need to defund police. We need to give them a pay raise. I'm fearful for America. Because we have so many opposing the Bible and the biblical precepts. We have the liberal crowd. We have the Hollywood crowd, the homosexual crowd, and even in a lot of cases, the religious crowd. They oppose us. And some of us have even found that our own families are in opposition to it. But we must stand in the face of opposition, and then we must stand in the face of misunderstanding. Oftentimes, our efforts to follow the Lord and to be obedient to his word are misunderstood by the world. People often view us as overzealous, narrow-minded, and fanatical. 
But the reality is this. We are simply people who take the Bible literally. We are people who believe Jesus is the only way of salvation. We are people who, who wholeheartedly believe that lost folks who die without Christ are doomed to an eternity in hell. And we are firm believers in the idea and the fact that the Bible ought to be the guide for life. Yet we're portrayed as backwoods, uneducated, mindless hicks, religious zealots, sometimes even cultic. We must stand in the face of opposition. We must stand in the face of misunderstanding. And then we must not allow persecution to hinder us. As I said in John 15, 18, Jesus rehearses how the world hated him. Surely they will hate those of us who follow him. It's because of that they lash out against us and they try to silence us. They want to stop us. They want to intimidate us. We need to become thick-skinned. We need to learn to endure the opposition, the misunderstanding, and the persecution just like Jesus did. We must purpose, I will not allow anything to hinder me in my Christian walk. We need to avoid hindrances. Secondly, we need to avoid hindrances to our Christian life by not allowing inconsistency of professed Christians to hinder us. Notice in Galatians 5 and verse 7, something very interesting. Paul says there, ye did run well. Who did hinder you? Obviously, some people were hindering these folks from living for the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, we're told that Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps. We saw in Hebrews 12, 2, that we're to fix our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, here's a sad but true fact. Too many Christians have their eyes on other Christians instead of on the Lord. These are not following Christ, they're following other Christians. Too many times they see other Christians as so good, and so godly, so near perfect. Sometimes Christians put other Christians on a pedestal. It could be preachers, deacons, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, evangelists. On and on we could go of elevating these people. But here's where we need to be. We need to realize that all sinners are simply sinners saved by grace. What do you mean? We need to understand there are no perfect Christians, just forgiven Christians. There are no Christians who are above sin. The Bible says we're just dust. We're flesh. Brother Hayes described us as animated dirt balls. I want you to understand that we as Christians and any Christian is capable 
of the most wicked and heinous sin given the right circumstances. You see, I've been down the road a little ways and I've seen pastors get into sin. I've seen evangelists get into immorality. I've known Christians who have cussed, lied, cheated, ran off with someone else's mate, got involved in homosexuality, misappropriated church funds, got drunk, looked at porno, used drugs, had abortions. On and on I could go with the things that I've seen Christians do. And it brings me to that place where I've got to realize, as I said just a minute ago, there are no perfect Christians. Christians will fail us. That's why we don't get our eyes on other Christians. We get our eyes on the one who will never fail us. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Looking under the author and finisher are our faith. We must look to the only one who will never disappoint us as our example. And we must learn from him. We must follow him. We must imitate him. We must seek to be like him. May I remind you that's where God is trying to take you. The Bible says that we are foreordained to be Conform to the image of his dear son. God is working in your life, if you're a believer, to try to bring you to that place of being like Jesus. I remind you of this. This side of heaven, we will never reach that perfection. But we're to strive for it. Jesus is to be our example. Jesus is never inconsistent. But the Bible declares him to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to purpose not to allow anything to hinder us in our Christian walk. By not allowing persecution and misunderstanding and opposition to hinder us. By not allowing the inconsistency of professing Christians to deter us. By not allowing some severe trial or sorrow to hinder us. Go over to James. He's just beyond Hebrews. In chapter 1 of James, we find... Very interesting verses. In the first three verses, James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, that's saved people, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. 
It's the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. You understand what he's saying? We glory in hard times and difficulties, tribulations. We glory in tribulations also, knowing the tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We understand that trials and sorrow are a part of the Christian life. I wish I could tell you, get saved, and you will have smooth sailing for the rest of your life. If I told you that, I would be lying to you. Many of us have learned this. Getting saved has probably brought us more trials and tribulations than we would have had if we weren't saved. Because now we're living in opposition to the world. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, and as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. There is no avoiding the trials and tribulations of the Christian life. The more we try to live for the Lord, the more difficulties we're going to face. But let me share this with you on the good news side. Trials and sufferings are beneficial for the Christian. Say, how so? Well, it's through trials, tribulations, that we're taught that we must rely upon the Lord. I ask you this question, when, when do you draw closer to God? When you're skating along and everything's going well or when you're in the midst of trials and tribulations? Yeah. They teach us to rely upon the Lord. They teach us to find our strength and our courage in him. And trials and tribulations are tools used by God to refine us. He, we might say, puts the heat on us to make the dross in our life become apparent. I illustrate that by the, the silversmith who when he's refining his silver for his, his next project, he puts it in a container and he puts, puts the fire under that container. And he brings that silver to the boiling point. And when he does that, it makes all the impurities of that silver come to the top. So he can scrape them off. And have the pure silver to work with. Sometimes God has to use the trials and tribulations of life to bring some of the impurities of our life to the surface. Some of the things we don't want to admit and face. But when we get into trial and tribulation and difficulty, we're brought face to face with them. And now we can deal with them. Sometimes our trials and tribulations can be God's chastening. If you're a child of God, understand he promises in his word whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth. That means when you go against him and get out of his will and his way, he will allow you to go through trials and tribulations and difficulties not to get even with you and not to punish you, but to bring you to that place of getting back on track. Trials and sufferings, while they hurt, and we wish we never had them. I have to 
I have to assure you that God uses them in a beneficial way in our lives. We as believers then need to learn how we should handle our trials and our sufferings in a proper way. First, we need to trust God through it all. I did a funeral last week, and I mentioned Job. All that Job went through, he lost his cattle, he lost his barns, he lost his crops, he lost his servants, he lost his ten sons and daughters. And yet Job could say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. No matter what the trial or the circumstance or the difficulty, we must come to that place. Of trusting him. We need to examine ourselves. To see if our trial or our testing is. Something God's using to teach us something. And then we need to examine ourselves. In this matter of chastening. When people come to me going through trials and difficulties, one of the things that I must ask is, is God trying to chasten you? Is there something in your life that he's trying to get your attention about? If so, we need to respond properly. And then we need never let a difficult situation interrupt our walk with God. Too often when Christians get in difficult places and trying places, their first idea is to bail out on God. That's the worst thing we can do. We need a purpose not to allow anything to hinder us in our Christian walk. Fourthly, by not allowing the world to sway us. John writes in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John wants us to understand we cannot love the world and love God. Jesus said it this way, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the wealth of the world. You see, it's no secret to us who are believers. The world tempts us. The world out there dangles all sorts of allurements in front of us. Wealth, fame, things, ease, pleasure, popularity. It offers us all kinds of things if we'll simply abandon God. We need to be reminded that the things of this world are only temporary. The Bible declares man's days as three score and ten, that's 70 years. If that's the case, I'm already on borrowed time. Some of you are as well. Now, I don't believe that's hard and fast. Today we hear about people living to be 105, 108. When I was a youngster, I don't ever remember people living that long. Medical science has come a long way. Quality of life has come a long way. But even if we live to be 105 or 108, we're still going to die. It's appointed of all men once to die. We all have an appointment with the grave. 
And when we go to that grave, when we die, we're not taking anything with us. Everything we accumulated, everything we achieved in this world is going to be left behind. And yet, we find ourselves struggling and clawing and kicking and biting and doing all we can do to achieve and attain the things this world offers. It's far better for us to get our eyes on eternity. I don't know, the older you get, I think the more you realize this, but the things of the world are empty. I read about Solomon. As far as we know, the wisest man to ever live. We read about him in Ecclesiastes. And we read how Solomon... Tasted every pleasure the world could offer. Wine, women, wealth. And at the end of it all, Solomon came to this. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If you don't understand what he's saying, he's saying everything the world has to offer is empty. We must understand that. And then here's, here's a fact. The truly born-again Christian who really, really, really wants to live for the Lord can never really enjoy the things of the world. And I say this, I've dealt with a lot of backslidden Christians. Folks who once lived for the Lord and now they've gone away from him and they're trying to live out in the world. For that case, that person can never really enjoy the things of the world. Not like he once did. One man called me who was in that situation. He had once lived for the Lord, served God. Circumstances of life came and he bailed out. He was back in the bar scene, running with women. And he called me. He talked with me. And he said this. He said, Preacher, I can't enjoy any of it. I said, Well, that's because you're a Christian. He said, Yep. So it's not like it used to be. I do the things I used to do and I don't enjoy it anymore. And then he said to me, he said, I've learned sheep cannot run with wolves. I hope you get that. See, when you got saved, you became a sheep. And you will always be a sheep. And sheep can't run with wolves. We need to turn our backs on the things of the world. We need to become dead to this world and refuse the offers of the world and stay true to Christ and not love the world. As a pastor, I, I believe there are too many Christians who are still in love with the world. I'm talking about Christians who have accepted Christ as their Savior. But for whatever reason, they turned their back on him and went after the tinsel of this world. 
Can I remind you, the devil will make sure the world will offer you what it takes to tempt you. He knows your weakness, and he will do all he can to capitalize. Whether it's money, prestige, ease, material things, whatever it might be. We need to purpose not to allow anything to hinder us in our Christian lives. By not allowing ourselves to neglect fellowship with the Lord. Jesus said in John 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. That word abide means to stay put. To abide in Christ, we must stay close to him. We know as believers, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will always abide in us once we've received him as our Savior. But we need to stay close to him. We abide in him by fellowshipping with him in prayer. Fellowshipping with him in our Bible reading. Fellowshipping with him in our being in the church house when the preacher's preaching. We abide with him. Stay close to him. Something I often rehearse to the Lord is as the heart panteth after the water brook. So panteth my soul after thee, O One man said, many Christians there are who instead of abiding in Christ have backslidden because they've neglected private prayer. They have neglected regular attendance at the house of God. Hmm. Those who abide in Christ will never be hindered in their Christian walk. By abiding in Christ, we will receive the stamina, the strength, the wisdom, the power to stay faithful to him. I have a statement here I'm going to read to you. It's my statement. I have never met a backslidden Christian who was faithful to prayer, Bible reading, and church attendance. And take that home and dwell on it for a little while. Lastly, we can avoid spiritual stumbling blocks by not allowing ourselves to be disobedient to God. Jeremiah 26, verse 13. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. There are a lot of Christians who are hindered in their Christian life because they've chosen to follow sin. Think about David. Man after God's own heart who came to a place in his life where he chose to follow sin. These who do such are powerless they're without peace, and they are paupers spiritually. All of that because they refuse to forsake some sin, or they've gone after something to please their flesh. There are Christians who are hindered because they refuse to obey some command of God. We are often called legalists because we believe in the Bible. God has given us commands to follow. And we believe we ought to follow them. Amen. 
Oftentimes, Christians have refused to obey what God has commanded. They buck up in rebellion. They shake their fist in God's face and they say, I will not, whatever it is. And then some Christians are hindered by broken commitments that they've made to God. They've made promises, and now they've backed up on them. They've refused to do that which God wants them to do. They become Jonah's. Knowing what God says and what God wants and absolutely refusing to do it. That will hinder you in your Christian life. You know, there are a lot of things out there that can and will hinder us in our Christian lives. But we have to come to a place where we purpose not to allow anything to hinder us in our Christian life. We just need to make a decision. I will not allow persecution and misunderstanding and opposition to hinder me. Let them say what they will about me. Let them try what they want about against me. I'm not going to quit on God. The inconsistency of other Christians. We must get our eyes off of other people and keep our eyes on him. Once again, I want to remind you, other Christians will fail you. He never will. We must not allow a severe trial or sorrow to keep us from being what we need to be for God. We must not allow the world to sway us, though it tries its best. We must not neglect our fellowship with the Lord, our prayer time, our Bible reading time, our church attending time, all very important. We must not allow some willful act of disobedience to hinder our Christian life. Two questions for you this morning. Question number one, are you saved? When I ask that, I'm asking, has there been a time in your life where you realize and acknowledge to God that you're a sinner? I don't like that. I don't, I don't want to be called a sinner. Listen, friend, we're all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes you. That includes me. But you see, you can't get saved till you recognize and acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner who needs saved. then we must understand that in order to be saved, we must call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior. That means we stop putting any kind of confidence in church or good works or baptism or anything else we can do to get us to heaven. And we put all of our faith in what he did for us on the cross. And we call upon him. We open the door to our heart and invite him to come in. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never done that, I invite you this morning. In the invitation time, just slip out and come and I'll put you with somebody. A man, if you're a man, lady, if you're a lady, take the Bible and show you how you can be saved today. Question number two is for saved people here. I know that the majority of folks in this room would profess to know Christ as their Savior. As a saved person, have you allowed anything 
to become a stumbling block in your Christian life? If so, would you today confess that to the Lord? Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to help you to change it. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to bow your heads for just a minute. Every eye closed. Heads are bowed. I ask question number one, are you saved? This morning you're here, if you could testify that yes, I've been saved, there's been a time in my life where I've invited Jesus Christ into my heart and into my life. And I know him as my savior today. If I died, I know for sure I'm going to heaven to be with him. Here's my hand as a testimony. Would you slip it up? Slip it up high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Put it down. I could not see everybody that did or didn't raise their hand, but God saw. And I wonder if there isn't some folks here this morning and say, Preacher, I've never done that. But I need to and want to today. I want Jesus to come into my heart and into my life. I want to get saved today. Here's my hand. Would you slip it up high? Nobody's looking but me. That's me, preacher. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else. I need to get saved today, preacher. I'd like somebody to take the Bible and show me how I can be saved today. Here's my hand. Anyone else? Let's stand together.